The blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. And I'm Adam. And I'm Steven. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a Wilhelm in the house. Be ready to scream his name. Stephen Wilhelm, how are you, sir? I am good. This is the trifecta now. I've done just about, I've done all three versions of your, I've done a full album now. This is my full album. I've done a movie and TV, and then I did a top 10. Top 10, that's right. All right. So So hopefully after this, you'll be able to tell us which one you like the best. And the correct answer is all of them. Oh, all yeah. of our content is just amazing. I mean, you guys have 200 podcasts now under your belt. So <laughs> there we go. we're doing something right. Or we're at least consistent. I don't know if that means uh, that we are awesome or relentless or just too dumb to realize what is going on. Yeah. <laughs> I have no uh, comment. <laughs> that is a fair assessment, sir. All right. So Steven is here to talk about... The 1995 album, Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Steven, I was a little surprised. I am uh, I would say surprised that this album was one that you picked. Um, could you tell us why this album? Sure. So I was going through in, because this I was about 14 when this came out. So John and I were roughly the same age when this album mm-hmm. launched. Um, I was going through my little grunge phase so nirvana pearl jam all mm-hmm. that all those bands i was kind of in that i would i had the striped shirts and uh all that fun stuff and this album came out and it just it threw me for a loop like it wasn't 100 percent grunge it still had some poppy feel to it and it just it just it just hit me like it was a really good mm-hmm. album top to bottom i really don't have many uh, criticisms about it um, there was, uh, when this came out, my, one of my friends and I, we actually were sitting in my room, we were playing, I think it was Madden or something like that. And we put the album on and we were trying to find out, figure out which songs would become singles. We guessed all six of them. <laughs> I think I said there's going to be about seven singles. There was, there was six. And I was so, it, cool. it's, it's also more of a nostalgic to that, to that time of the past where it was just simpler. Sure. And yeah. Oh, God, yeah. God, there are times when I'm like, I really wish I could go back to the days when I just went to school, came home, dinked around on my, you know, guitar, played some video games on the old NES because that's all we had for a while. Uh, It was good stuff. Mm -hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Steven is here because he is a patron. Uh, He's our top-level golden girl. If you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com backslash blastpasscast and uh, pick a tier if you want to just suggest one for us or if you want to actually come on. Adam, in that same realm, we have a new patron. Oh, we got another patron. Thank you. We haven't done this in a while. And actually, she's been a patron for a little while. I just keep forgetting to put this in. Because <laughs> we've kind of had our we've had our same routine of uh, patrons for a while. Uh, Miranda Watson is a new patron at the um, at the $5 level, I believe. Oh, okay, so she, she gets to that's pick a, an episode. She gets to pick an episode. Muppet Baby, right? Muppet no, Muppet Baby, Baby is the uh, $3 one. Yeah. Or no, that's the one dollar one. The three dollar one is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and uh, the five dollar one is the GI Joe. Oh, GI Joe. That's okay. right. Yeah, that's right. GI Joe is kind of like, hey, just a thank you. The other one you start, you get our our um, 
exclusive content with a $3 and up. And then five, you get to pick an episode. And then at 15, you get to be on an episode with us for at least for every every year. Yep. Uh, all right. So, Adam, what was your experience with uh, either either this album or just Alanis Morissette in general? I mean, heavily on rotation on VH1 and MTV. Um, I mean, I was just like every other kid around those times. You know, you come home and you put on, uh, you know, one of those two stations or Nickelodeon or something like that. But like mm-hmm. definitely music videos when music videos were such a big, Oh, there's still a big thing on YouTube. You know, everyone says like, Oh, music videos have died. Um, now music videos on TV have died, but they just found a new home on YouTube. Um, and they're still, I think worth putting some good stuff on them. Like one that comes to my mind is this is America from childish Gambino. Like you can still have some really effective music videos, but anyway, I digress. Uh, back <laughs> in the day when music videos were on TV and you watched them, and that's how you expanded your musical horizons. Um, so it's definitely with uh, you know with with television, with VH1, with um, MTV that I had it on. And I believe I believe our mom had this album, or maybe it's our sister who had this album, or maybe you had this album. But I, I was fairly I thought someone did have this album. I think someone did have the album. I just can't remember who. Yeah, yeah. I, I would lean towards either mom or Abby. Okay. Uh, all right. So if you have not figured it out, we are talking uh, Jagged Little Pill. The album was released on June 13th, 1995, uh, recorded at Westlake Recording Studios in Syndicate Sound in Hollywood, California, and was uh, put out on the label and reprise albums. The producer was a man named Glenn Ballard, uh, who is a fairly big-name guy. He has produced or been a performer on all kinds of albums, including Thriller, Bad, he was actually the co-writer of Man in the Mirror. Oh, hey, that was our best, our top one. Yes, Me it was. Shared, <laughs> we shared that one. Um, he's also done several albums by Paula Abdul. Uh, he worked on Wilson Phillips' debut album. Yeah. And a whole slew of very well-known names. I'm seeing Toto, Aerosmith, um, No Doubt, Shakira, Dave Matthews Band, Christina Aguilera, Katy Perry, did several Katy Perry's. Just a whole slew of big name people. Wow. Um, I definitely remember uh, when this album came out, watching some behind the scenes stuff because they talked about how Glenn Ballard was the producer and it was kind of like he took Alanis Morissette and they just like sequestered themselves in the studio and like wrote these songs together because uh, he is the co writer of most of the songs on this album. Alanis mm-hmm. wrote all the lyrics, but he wrote or co wrote most of the music Okay. Uh, that we hear. Um, so the personnel on this album is fairly extensive, so I'm just going to uh, put out a few names. Obviously, Alanis Morissette uh, doing vocals and a little harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Glenn Ballard did uh, a good number of guitar tracks and keyboard tracks and a lot of and programming and stuff because there is some, some you can hear some electronic drums a little bit mm-hmm. in there. Um, but two names that I'm going to mention, I'll go ahead and mention now. Well, you know what? It's not that far in, so I'll wait until we get to that song because it's only the second song in. There's a couple of big names. Yep. Um, yep. And there's just a whole slew of uh, session players and stuff that uh, played on all all the rest of the songs. All right. Now, before we get into the first song, I want to ask how we want to approach this. So on the CD release, which is the version that I remember having. In fact, uh, the version that I have on my iTunes was ripped from my original CD 
that I had, or actually it might have been my wife's, I'm not sure, but some of us had. The final track, the last track, number 13, is just a rehash, a remix of the second song, You Ought to Know. However, there is, spoilers, a hidden track at the end. Oh, yeah. Do we really need to rehash You Ought to Know? Because to me, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's it's 100% like, even though they're different uh, mixes... I really couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> there was not much. Now, on the vinyl release, that uh-huh. track was not on there. Oh, okay. Oh. So, uh, to me, it's not worth talking about. We can talk about the hidden track. Oh, yeah, definitely the okay. hidden track. So, but we're going to, when we get to track number 13, we're going to skip the uh, uh, the Jimmy the Saint blend or the remix of You Ought to Know. Yeah. Uh, but let's go ahead and start with our first song, which is called. Wait, wait. I got some more facts on the album. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. I totally forgot about the the oh, the facts that you bring. There's in. a lot of stuff on this album. This is sure. a huge album. So, uh, first and foremost, this is a massive departure from her first two albums. Which, if you're in North America or or sorry, if you're in America. Um, or anywhere else besides Canada, you probably didn't hear her first two albums. And even now, I didn't find out. Hashtag I was today years old when I found out that Alanis Morissette's first two albums were dance pop. And Oh, see, I knew that. I did not. I didn't either. Because I, I had heard all that. That's, that is why in the show How I Met Your Mother, you get yeah. the, the whole Robin Sparkles thing is just a play on Alanis Morissette's oh. early career. Which... I knew when when Robin Sparkles gets her grungy phase, I knew yes. that was an Alanis Morissette set part. I didn't realize the beginning stuff was yeah. until I just I, I watched two uh, music videos um, from her her first album, and they are so dancey poppy. One of them had Matt LeBlanc in it. That was funny. Oh my god! But <laughs> which Matt LeBlanc is was rumored to be one of the guys uh, that you ought to know is about. But we all know who it's really about. Um, <laughs> and we'll talk about that. But yeah, it was just it was so poppy that it took me mm-hmm. by surprise listening to it. So I highly recommend yeah. people go check out uh, any of those songs at least just to be like, wow, this is not the Alanis <laughs> that I know. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. So. Uh, this album hit number one on the Billboard 200, and it topped. It also topped the charts in 13 different countries. So this was a big album. It had sales of about 33 million records worldwide, which is cur- which is currently set at the 14th best-selling album of all time. So mm, this impressive. is huge. Uh, and actually, Alanis Morissette held the record as the youngest artist when she was 21 to be certified diamond in the U.S., which is 10 million uh, copies. Until Britney Spears claimed that title with Baby One More Time uh, at the age of 19. And, That's one of your favorites, isn't it? Uh, Britney is one of my favorites, I will say. I'm not sure <laughs> necessarily care about the album, but I care about Britney. <laughs> I think we all did, uh, Adam, back in the day. Yeah, it was impossible not to. She was just, yep, <laughs> one of those, just one of those uh, right time, right girls. So uh, Jagged Little Pill was nominated for nine Grammy Awards. It won five including Album of the Year, which actually made 
uh, Alanis Morissette, the youngest artist to win uh, album of the year until Taylor Swift took that away when she was a little bit younger in 2010. Uh, Rolling Stone nominated it as number 69 on its 500 greatest albums of all time. Giggity. And <laughs> if you didn't know, there was a, uh, a a live action stage musical that is based on the music from this mm-hmm. album yeah. and it premiered in 2018 and it was nominated for 15 Tony awards oh. when it came out onto Broadway, including um, best musical. And I believe it, I don't know if it won, but I definitely know it was nominated. I didn't check if it won or not, but I just saw that it was nominated for a bunch of it. Okay. Um, and there was a 10 year anniversary version of the acoustic. So she did, she redid all the songs in, as an acoustic versions. And, um, I will say, uh, one other thing I noticed was, um, who was the Ballard? Ballard said that pretty much every album on this track, Alanis recorded it in about one or two takes, and she is just that good live. Which mm-hmm. makes me want to throw it to you, John, because I you I know have heard her live. I did. In fact, last year, maybe three or four months ago, my wife and I went to a concert that included some poor lady who, unfortunately, I couldn't remember her name because it was not she. She was from the '90s, but she was like a, a really obscure indie singer Uh, that i had never heard of before um garbage then went on great show um and then alanis came on and knocked it out of the park her voice is probably better now than it was at the time that she recorded this album uh even her harmonica playing was better (laughs) (laughs) a fantastic show i actually went mostly to see garbage and then i knew i was gonna like alanis because i listened to this album just as we all did but I was kind of blown away at how good, how strong her vocals are. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, that woman's got some pipes. Yeah. Um, we also can't really mention Alanis without talking about the whole uh, you can't do that on television thing. Everyone makes a big deal out of that, that she was on that show, but she was really only on that show for about five episodes. Mm. So she wasn't like a regular player, but she was on uh, the show You Can't Do That on Television, which was a big Nickelodeon show back in the day. Adam, yeah. I remember when we talked when we talked to our top ten Nick shows, you weren't familiar with that one. I mean, I've heard it. It is definitely a show because it's like you know, it's one that it gets, has been it gets popular. referenced a lot. Yeah, referenced a lot, but it's not yeah. one that I don't know if I've really seen a single episode. Okay. I mean, I saw it occasionally, briefly, but it was it, just like yeah. it was like scattered. Yeah, was that the one where they have all those doors that they opened, or like the windows, or whatever? Or was that a different show? Mm-hmm. I don't in like, know. In like the intro or something, like they have all these. Never mind. Uh, that sounds about right. But I mean, I, I might have seen the intro, but I don't. I don't remember the right. show itself. I mean, it's the one where everyone got slimed. That's the thing people well, remember. No, that's I mean, the audience. Yeah, yes. but I mean, there was a lot of shows where they got slimed. That's where that show. That's where that comes from. Yes, oh. was that 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 was the originator? If you said I don't know, you got slimed. That is where that whole that is where that whole thing came from. Uh, all right, anything else before we jump into the album? No, Adam? that's that's all I got for now. I've got a couple more facts for you. Oh nice. shoot! Hit us. Uh, so this went platinum in eighteen different countries, some multi platinum, and it went. It was certified two time diamond in Canada. She was the first female to ever do that, to ever be certified diamond in Canada. Baller. Wow! Even Baller. over Anne Murray. Yeah, Anne Murray, <laughs> Celine Dion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty intense. Well, gentlemen, all I really want is to start talking about this album. (laughs) So let's start off with our first song called All I Really Want. And there I go jumping before the 
All right, what I really do like about this song is considering this is our introduction. You know, if you if you'd never heard any of the singles and you bought this album when it came out, um, this is our introduction to New Alanis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm you know if you're if you're in the U.S., we're gonna assume that you had no idea that there was a previous Alanis. And she's right kind of at that point where grunge is starting to come down, electronic music is starting to swing on the way up, and the Lilith Fair people are also starting to make big waves. And she kind of grasps from all three of those Mm -hmm. in this one opening song, because I'm getting a little bit of that kind of cool little almost electronica drum track, um, that kind of grungy guitar sound that's going on. And then I say it. She's going for it with her vocals. She's really kind of belting there. And that's really what I think I liked about this song. Steve, what do you got to say? Yeah. Um, my notes were that uh, she really hits the harmonica right off the bat. Um, <laughs> it's it's really close to the beginning. Um, and I really thought that her, her voice for the song really captured the tone of what this album's going to going to be she doesn't differ too far from what this song is yeah there's a couple slower songs but i think this song as general as general really sets the tone for it uh but like you mentioned the guitar the guitar was really good in this yeah you she you know i mean she we we know at least by her first thing we're like oh this is a really angsty song it's kind of an angsty album oh yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean that doesn't make that you know doesn't mean that's a bad thing and you're right it's what what i do kind of like about this song is she is kind of really all not shouting but she is really kind of angry sounding Mm -hmm. but it doesn't detract from the rest of the music even though the rest of the music the background doesn't necessarily feel like it would be like an angsty song yeah does that make sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i mean i yeah i like pretty much everything that you guys had already mentioned uh, the song itself, you know, she kind of has a different, I don't know, almost like talky songy vibe in this one, where she does mm-hmm. a little bit more lyrically singing in other ones. Um, but I still enjoy it. Enjoy the style. You're right. They set it up really well. Um, the feel that you're gonna have for this album, because you can tell that she's she's pissed at somebody. She's angry <laughs> at somebody in this song. Um, you know, about kind of being a, pa- a troubled past relationship um, that led to this song, and the next one will be even angrier. Uh, but yeah, this is a good one. It did uh, hit number 14 on the Modern Rock chart, and it was not single, so it was the last single that they put out for this one. But yeah, this is a solid solid start to the album, and a good, just, the, it, it's what it's what I know from Alanis, kind of what I remember, and it's just mm-hmm. like, it was fun to go back and listen to be like, oh yeah, I am feeling in the vibes where I should be. Uh, a strong start, I thought, actually, a very strong start. And I'm not sure if I thought that when I was a kid, but it doesn't matter because I enjoy that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a fourteen-year-old me, I don't really, I wasn't focusing on, on that. I mean, right. I had, I had, I had heard the singles. You ought to know. I don't know if, if "Hand in My Pocket" was released yet at that point, but I, I know you ought to know had been. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was definitely a good, a good, solid start off. Yeah, this was actually the last single to be released <laughs> mm-hmm. back on November twenty-fifth, nineteen ninety-six. Yeah. yeah. The first single was back in July sixth, nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, so over a year. <laughs> that was back when you could really ride an album and really get longevity out of it, yeah. which you can't really do that anymore. Dude, like our, our complete um, just, you know, lack of patience for anything. And our, <laughs> our uh, you know, we say all kids, oh, they don't have any, um, that our entire t- attention spans as pop for cop- pop culture consumers is so short because albums, you're right, only last like maybe a month before they have to move on. And movies, if it's like, 
not opening weekend, you'll get maybe one more weekend and then it's fucking gone. (laughs) Like movies come out, go out of theater so fast now. It's crazy. And I remember like having to wait months for it to Mm -hmm. come out on video. I mean, now we're getting like four months after a release or even three months after a release. Actually, no, no, no. Those the Eternals came out in the beginning of November, end of this month. Yeah, it's coming out on digital. That's three months later. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, I'm not going to complain about that <laughs> because I I enjoy being able to go back and see the movies again. Now this is we're also in the, we're also kind of coming out of the pandemic era, so mm-hmm. that has changed the rules a little bit. But I kind of agree in that our attention span for media, especially music, yeah, yeah, um, has gotten way too short. Spotify's really shortened that span. Easy makes it really easy to skip, find only what you want, or only things like sound that sound like you want. All right, we could talk about this all day. Uh, <laughs> we got, we got eleven other songs, or technically twelve other songs to talk about. So, yes. all right, let's go on to our next song, which was her first single and probably her best known hit. You ought to know. Was was anyone else like like giggling when they were a kid when they heard the line go down on you in the theater? I actually had that in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. So, because uh, I was, I say this song is was very explicit. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to cover the two the two uh, bandmates that were on this song, so I'll let you go on that one. Uh, but the two lines, uh, think of me when you fuck her. I mean, come on. When you're 14 years old, if you don't giggle at that, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, any male in the in the 90s uh, were kind of giggling when she said that. And I think a, still a lot does. of males in the 90s when she said that had their hands in their pocket. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, John. You dirty, dirty man. Yeah, it was a very explicit song. I, you know what? I was just I actually just thought about this. We didn't hear too many women in mainstream radio talking so bluntly about subjects like this even though we all talked about it with our friends even probably girls our age would talk about it but just in mainstream radio it really just it wasn't done there's something kind of refreshing and i think eye-opening about alanis just coming out and i don't remember how old she was when she did this album i think she was fairly young 19 20 21 or something like that Um, yeah 21 yeah but just being able and just kind of coming out and saying, I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And I think I think Glenn Ballard is the only producer that would have allowed her to do something like this, maybe. I mean, you got so you got. And then at the same time, I don't remember when it came up, but you have Meredith Brooks uh, saying bitch. Mm-hmm. That I was mean, a little bit. That was a little bit later. But yeah, it's the same like the same era. Like you have right. these women that are are competing against the likes of Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and all these poppy artists and they're trying to make a name for themselves. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's um, where it does differ is because Alanis was hitting the pop charts as well as some of those rock charts where 
you know, you go back and you think like a Debbie Harry or Alita Ford or um, Courtney Love, and they could be a little bit more harsher, rough around the edges and say stuff like this. But it's like, ah, well, they're just they're just kind of like grosser ladies or, you know, they're a little bit more edgy with that. But Alanis was she was on the pop charts doing this. And I, I do think, yeah, she she definitely brought on a, um, a fuck the man attitude that uh, a lot of people latched onto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so I will uh, briefly mention the two musicians uh, who were on this one. Um, I actually didn't know about the second one until fairly recently, but the first one, uh, the on uh, playing bass guitar was Flea uh, from yeah. the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, you can really kind of hear it when you when you listen to it. Flea really likes a really kind of busy bass lines, mm-hmm. um, and you can really hear like if you really listen to the bass line, there's a lot going on in there. And it's not it's not mixed too loud. A lot of the times no. you'll hear. Flea's bass lines really pop super loud, but this one, they don't, but you're right. I listened to it particularly hard because I was like, oh, this is a Flea, and it's like, oh, this sounds very Flea, but it's not It's not taking over Atlantis. They let Atlantis sing. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, also, in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think part of their aesthetic is the bass line complementing only one guitar, uh-huh. and so they're trying to fill, you know, they might be trying to fill out sonically this, this stuff, and actually the guitar is fairly reserved in uh you ought to know especially yeah. you know especially during the verses it's just kind of you know it's playing a few licks here and there that are very slow um and just kind of uh arpeggiated stuff and then it you know it, it kind of rocks into the chords for the chorus but there was nothing in the guitar that really made me kind of jump out at it as opposed to flea's baseline but on guitar was dave navarro who I think had just joined the Chili Peppers because his first album with the Chili Peppers was released about two months after uh, Jagged Little Pill. Okay. I didn't really realize for some reason that he was with the Chili Peppers. Yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, Dave Navarro was with the Chili Peppers for a few albums. Um, He ended up up doing a few of them, but uh, One Hot Minute um, was the uh, big one that he was with them. And then also for the... uh, Beavis and Butthead. Um, Ooh, Beavis and Butthead. American. Yeah, the lover. Roller coaster. I remember him from Jane's Addiction. He was yes. uh, with them from 93 to 98. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, way longer than I realized. Okay. So I remember like, uh, uh, oh, God, what was that? Aeroplane song? Yeah. You're my aeroplane. I think it was called Aeroplane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was that was the big song, I think, <laughs> off of that one album that he was on. Uh, all right. Let's move on oh. to. Oh, I got, oh, there's a lot more to talk about with oh. you. Ought to know, my man. <laughs> oh, well, you got to jump in, Adam. Yeah, come on, Adam. I thought you were gonna segue me. I thought you were gonna, you know, you know, alley oop me. Um, but okay. So this uh, uh, was the first single from the album. Hit number six on the Billboard Hot 100, and uh, it was nominated for three Grammy awards, and it won for best rock song and best female rock vocal performance. Wow. So. Um, so the vibes I get obviously are very, you know, angry. There's emotional feel to this song. I love it. You know, I mean, this song is fucking awesome. And also, fuck that guy, whoever she's singing about, which mm-hmm. is the next thing I want to talk about. Sure. Uh, so this song in particularly uh, has been, you know, one that a lot of people have been curious who it's about. And Alanis has never said. She's huh. explicitly said, "I, you know, I write my songs for me. I'm never. I'm not going to say who this was." It, it's kind of like our generation's "You're So Vain." Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Remember, there was a big thing about who is she? Mm-hmm. Who is Carly Simon singing about? It's I. I equate this to our generation's "You're So Vain." Yeah, okay. I'd agree yeah. with that. Um, but it is, you know, multiple people have actually said 
they were, you know, rumored to be this person or other people have rumored them to be it. Um, Dave Coulier is the famous one. So uh, particularly he calls out there was a line that she said, uh, I hate to bug you in the middle of dinner. And he says that he when he heard that line, he almost was certain that it was about him because she apparently called him not long after they broke up. And he told her, no, I can't talk right now. I'm in the middle of dinner. Uh, something like that. And apparently Bob Saget said he was with Coulier when that happened. Mm. So maybe or maybe they're just, you know, they were on drugs and they don't remember shit because they probably were. Um, but so, yeah, there was this whole I mean, the Alanis Morissette Dave Coulier romance was uh, a famous part of, um, I would say, their, you know, just the, the ether of you ought to know. Which I mean, and props to her for not saying, because I actually think the mystery of it. Is yeah. what keeps people still talking about it. Yep. And yeah. even though Coulier kind of has denied it, he's done you know, both. He's denied it and said it was him. Like he goes back and <laughs> forth like every couple of years. I think he of likes course. the attention. So. Oh yeah, because he's got nothing you know to, for him anymore. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, the music video I watched it for this one. It 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 fits very well with the angsty and angry feel of the song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was directed by a guy named Nick Egan, who has directed music videos for Better Than Ezra, Duran Duran, Oasis, plenty of others. So it was, yeah, I like it. It was fast cuts, her just kind of singing angrily, hair mm-hmm. moving around, you know, it just, it, was, it fit very well. Yeah, it was very awesome. I, I, I watched a uh, reaction video of, of somebody that I watched uh, reactions of, and he reacted to this video for the first time. And it was, I was like, yep, nice. yep. <laughs> yep, yep. Wait till this part. Wait till this part. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Did we get? Uh, did we get everything out? Yeah, it was a perfect review of that song. <laughs> well, Stephen, you <laughs> ought to know that. I tried. We're gonna go ahead. We're gonna move on to our next song, which is called "Perfect." I will fully admit this. When I was a kid, probably totally skipped this song. It was a slow one. Now that I've actually had a chance to really go back and listen to this song, holy shit. Mm-hmm. She is digging. And I don't know if it's going to be at her parents or just at parents in general, but man, she's going after some people. Yeah, all about the unrealistic expectations that some parents apparently have on their children. Yeah, I was when I was doing my uh, uh, notes on this one, I was trying to... F- figure out what this song was about and i found someone had posted somewhere that uh they felt like the song is from the perspective of a parent attempting to live vicariously through their child who they push mm-hmm. hard to achieve to the point it's, it's having a negative impact on that kid which is so like that is a hot topic anytime you want to talk about it actually i was um uh, i don't know, about a couple hours ago i i went to the store to you know get some stock up on groceries for the week and i was re-listening to this album to kind of get myself ready to record this and I got this, I was walking through this, I'm listening to this, and I'm really trying to listen to the lyrics. And I'm like, as a parent, do I do this? Because that really does actually concern me. There are a lot of things that I do make my children do, um, and I try to have them do things. If, I, if I'm asking them to do something or if I'm telling them to do something, the reason is usually is because I know down the line 
it's going to be a skill or something that will be useful to them. Um, and I'll use this as an example. Uh, I We told our children that they were going to take piano lessons. It wasn't a question. We were not asking. You were taking piano lessons. Now, I even told them, I said, when you get older, if you want to switch to another instrument or if you decide to, to not do music, or not, that's not, that is your call. But here, I know um, as a musician, the one instrument I wish I'd had more training on when I was younger, which would have made my life easier, was piano. Mm-hmm. Now, the good thing is both my children actually really enjoy playing piano and playing music and instruments. And it, I think it's I think it's done what I wanted, which was to help them. And I really do have to concern myself with other things like, am I forcing this on them because I wish I had done it or because I think it's good for them or something like that? Or do they really want to do it? And so, so listening to this song really kind of hit me a little bit. I may, you know, I'm not concerned that I'm trying to live vicariously through so much through my children that, uh, that I'm telling them, well, maybe you should have tried harder. Maybe you should have been better at that. I don't feel I do that. I don't know. Adam, you've seen me around my kids. Have you ever seen me do anything like that? No, 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 no. You're usually, I, I'm the person that'll tell your kids that they suck at stuff, not you. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, 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 no. You, not at all. I don't see. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, no, they, they're, they don't seem like you're, you know, you have to be this perfectional stuff. You let them fail because you have to let them fail oh, and learn on their yeah. own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the song much better now as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, my only semi-criticism on this one was I would like to see it pushed. Maybe flip this song with the next song for tempo reason. It was, for me, it was a bit jarring coming out of the high, angry speed of You Ought to Know to, whoa, we slowed down real far on on perfect. I kind of would have liked a middle step, and I think that next song would have been a better middle step. Um, but I do want to, yeah, kind of just tie in with John's comment too. Like that last line really hits you. The last line of the song is, "We'll love you just the way you are if you're perfect." Yeah. And it's like, oh, because every every parent has said, "No, no, we love you for you. We love you just the way you are." But like, no. But for in, for this person, it's if you do exactly perfectly and it's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I also wonder, sorry, Steve, I'm, no. I'm seven over here. And I'll let you talk. No, in a second. It's okay. I, I'm wondering if, because she's been in the entertainment industry for such a long time, yeah. if she isn't reflecting on, you know, how she, how things were for her growing up um, with her parents. Cause I don't know, maybe she had like a, one of those moms or whatever, a Hollywood mom or however you want to call it. Wasn't she on like a, a star search when she was a kid? Or something like that, maybe. Probably, maybe I don't yeah, know. I can't. Yeah. I can't recall. Uh, Steve, I'm sorry, we've been talking <laughs> over you for this whole time. No, you, you guys hit it, hit the nail on the coffin. Like this song, and I mean, I totally agree with with with, with Adam said. I this was a stark departure from the first two songs. Like it was. Mm-hmm. I think it. I don't think it would have been better after the next song. I think it would probably been a little better after like maybe like a, a couple songs. Couple more songs. Yeah, yeah kind of put yeah. it in the middle of the album because there's not many ballads on this one. I mean, I hate to call this one ballad, but I mean, when you have a slow tempo <laughs> song, that's what it's known for. Yeah. And I just thought it was a it was a beautiful song. I love melody. I have I don't really put much into words of the song. I'm a very melodic person and a mm-hmm. uh, instrumental person. I do like the I do like the words. And not having a child, I don't have that same perspective. But I I know that this is a hot this is a hot topic in mm-hmm. in our culture of ch- parents trying to put their 
uh, children or live through their children, whether it's putting them through dance or putting them through sports or whatever, things that they couldn't do in the past that they're not having their children do. And it's sad. Yeah. Well, it's sad when those kids aren't perfect because, you know, if they turn out like John, that's going to happen. But if you turn out like <laughs> me, then your kids are just going to be perfect at all the stuff. And yeah. that's when the parents are happy and pleased with you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what happens. <laughs> Fuck you, Adam. Yay. <laughs> first is the worst. Third is the best. If you ain't first, you're last. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the first child has to fail for the rest of them to succeed. Hey, I'm the oldest child, so I hear you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next song, which is called Hand in My Pocket. I feel drunk, but I'm sober. You know, with this one, her lyrics seem a little bit like kooky. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it sound like it's too much like that. There's a little, it seems a little disjunct, like it's very, very sort of '90s in that way. But I, I like how mellow the song is all the way through. Like it's mm-hmm. not slow. It's not a ballad. There's definitely movement there. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's like a walk. It's like a mellow walk. Exactly. All right. That's all I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I found interesting on this is that this, the final version you hear, was actually the demo that she recorded for this album. Oh for, wow! For this, for this, for this oh. song, so they actually used the demo instead of any of the other takes. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, this song hit uh, number fifteen on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the Modern Rock charts. Um, it has a music video where she's in a parade. She's driving like a homecoming queen type of person, and some others. Behind, you know, in, in her car, singing along with shots of the parade or whatnot. It's fine. Um, nothing special. <laughs> but I very much quite enjoy this song. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually feel it's something that people can be relate to. There's a nice kind of a positive message to this one, or at least I get the positive vibe because yeah. it's a little bit happier. You know, she's like, hey, I've got like, you know, you know, one hand in my pocket, which, John, I didn't think dirty thoughts like <laughs> you did. Gross. <laughs> figures, figures it's John that does it. Yes, I, <laughs> you would think the other way around, but um, I take that as, you know, one hand in the pocket, your one hand kind of keeping to yourself, being apprehensive, and then the other hand's doing stuff. It's giving a high five, it's right. uh, flicking a cigarette, it's hailing it, whatever. And so she's kind of like, she's living two different worlds. There's one always doing stuff, but then there's also keeping stuff to herself, and everything's, everything's going to be all right. And so I kind of liked that aspect. It was just, it was kind of a comforting song to me. Yeah, it was kind of... Uh, from what I, from what I got for the meaning of this one was that no matter what life does for you, no matter what no matter what rocks you get thrown at, no matter what, you'll always find a way to look and find the and find the positives in life. I like that. Yep. Uh, the song was also uh, the theme song originally to Dawson's Creek. Oh. Uh, they used it for the unaired pilot, um, and then when they actually redid the pilot, uh, they changed it to uh, "I Don't Want to Wait." Yeah. Uh, I don't think I could see Dawson's Creek with anything other than I don't want to wait, so I'm not sure how I'd feel with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, uh, gentlemen, 
It's uh, time for you to wine, dine, and 69 me, and let's talk about Right Through You. You took me for a joke. You took me for a child. You took a long, hard look at my ass and then played golf for a while. You shake us like a fish. You pat me on the head. This the song reminds me a little bit of uh, Our Lady Peace. Oh, okay, especially in the chorus. Yeah, uh, obviously this was probably before mm-hmm. uh, what I'm thinking of for Our Lady Peace, but uh, um, she's got some super kind of angsty, but I think smart lyrics mm-hmm. in this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you already said, that '69 lyric. That's yeah. Very... <laughs> no, but this is a this is a, I really dug this song. Mm-hmm. Not a single, but. Um, I like the lyrics. Yeah, the lyrics are pretty much about, you know, she kind of sees right through this person who's using her, exploiting her. Um, to mm-hmm. me, I got heavy record exec vibes. Ah, from like like somebody record exec had kind of like kind of yeah, you used her and um, you know, was was I don't know, n- nothing sexual, but you know, whatever, just right. just kind of like exploited her. Yeah. Um, you know, early in her career, but the song itself, I dug that it started off acoustically and then it picked up hard and it kind of kept that that vibe of fuck you vibe that I'm uh, appreciate so much. Yeah I, yeah. I was I was going to say I did like the kind of acoustic beginning and then mm-hmm. really kind of jumped in uh, later especially in the in the chorus. Not really heavy, but a heavier enough that I feel juxtaposed from the from the verse but not too far away from the verse. Yeah, this is a very grunge song. Like mm-hmm. like there's not much on here. I know I said this is kind of a grunge album, but this is like what grunge was uh talking about a topic that is taboo um that females Mm -hmm. just don't talk about it's i mean she's basically saying that you can't smoke and mirror me i know what you're gonna i i i know what you're doing and fuck you Mm -hmm. all right well let's go ahead and move on to the next one just called forgiven So uh, I'm a little getting a little uh, anti-church vibes. Yep. Yeah, she mentions a lot of that stuff. Uh, definitely, she's she's got a problem with the church right now. Yeah, she's well. I don't know if you guys knew, but she grew up in the Catholic Church and she grew up going to going to Catholic schools. So this okay. so this is kind of. I was reading a, a few different uh, thoughts online, and it's kind of, kind of goes back and forth. But it's definitely about her growing up in the in the Catholic Church. Um, in that how when you're in that mindset that you're supposed to forgive people 
um, but is also really learning to forgive and forget. And definitely some angst stuff. I'm looking at uh, one of the verses here. Um, it's talking about, uh, I'm just going to read this the first half of this verse a little bit. I sang hallelujah in the choir and confessed my darkest deeds to an envious man. My brothers, they never went blind for what they did, but I may as well have. Like, and you can see there's definitely, like, she was held to a double standard from, you know, boys to girls, it sounds like. And she's a little mad about yeah. it, which rightfully so. Uh, to me, I got a little bit of, um, masturbation yeah. hints there like the well, blind yeah. absolutely because there's i think i think a bit what quite a bit what she's talking about is sexual repression and particularly yeah. double standard you're right from the mm-hmm. boys versus the girls and it's just like you know um that the, the catholic girls they're one hypersexualized, but also they have to be super repressed because they can't they cannot they're not allowed to explore they're not allowed to learn or anything mm-hmm. um and they just get basically fully dismissed whenever they're having sexual feelings and that's kind of yeah, the vibe I get. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, the song was okay. Um, yeah. I think I got more out of the lyrics than I did actually the song as a whole, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, it was it was listenable, but probably not one I would seek out per se. I can hear I, that. I agree with you that. Yeah. I mean, I do like the buildup in that that goes through the song, but yeah. Okay. It's definitely not the more, it's not like the best song of the album. It's good. It gets you from okay. one song to the other. Uh, it's it, I don't I don't feel the need to skip it. Yeah, I'll say yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and, and run on down to now. We're kind of hitting the second half of the album. Uh, go to you learn. Gentlemen, I'm assuming we have all uh, walked naked in our living rooms. Oh shit! Hey, who hasn't? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Whoa! <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is a really good song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's uh, hit number six on the Hot 100, number f- one on the pop charts, and I always love it when uh, the name of the album is not always the name of a song, but mm-hmm. they she she mentions Jagged Little Pill in the song as yeah. one of the lyrics. And that's what got the the hint. Yeah, I I I get the same kind of vibes from this one as I did from All I Really Want, and that we're getting a little bit of the grunge guitar sound. We're getting a little bit of the electronica drums here together, um, and then her kind of you know soaring vocals over this one, um, mm-hmm. and I like it. It's a combination that works for her, yeah. um, and she doesn't do it too much. I think if it was like every song. Or you know, or every other song. Then I, at that point, I'd be like, eh, you know, now I'm getting sick of it. But she does it every so often, and I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, I just feel like it's very, it's very well balanced. There's not, mm-hmm. there's doesn't doesn't go from one, doesn't skip anything really. It's very melodic, which I love that in a song because um, she's like you said at the beginning of the of the podcast, John, that she her pipes are just phenomenal. And I think this mm-hmm. this song really helps show that. Um, and also the message that 
you can you have to live your life to the fullest and everything yeah. and everything happens for a reason I like that the vibes of personal growth exactly. Yeah. I mean, really, just the, the you live, you learn. All the different experiences are kind of going to keep you moving. Um, good positive vibes, yeah, for sure. And I just want to say, uh, when I was uh, when I was at the concert, every song that she played that I recognized, I was absolutely belting along the lyrics <laughs> along with everybody else, and they're including this one, just screaming. Of course, you know it was a big, it was in a big uh, stadium, so you really couldn't. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, you, you're, you're gonna get lost in the sea of people, and mm-hmm. it was it was pa- it was a packed uh, concert, and everyone was like overly excited. Now, part of it was because this uh, tour or this tour that she done uh, was supposed to happen in 2020. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and like we had had tickets to see her like sometime in like May of 2020, and then it wasn't until like September, October. I think it was September of uh, 2021 when we finally got to see her. Yeah. So everyone was anxious by then, and this was, I guess, kind of like a, I think it was meant to be like a, a jagged little pill sort of a tour because she played a good number of songs, not just the hits, but a good number of other songs from this album on that mm. in that concert. Wow. Well, that would have made sense because that would have been the twenty fifth anniversary because it came out in ninety five. So right. That's probably yeah. I could see that being like yeah, twenty fifth anniversary tour. Yeah. Okay. So, um, this song, I did watch the music video. She's kind of like walking around New York or whatever a city. At one point, I mean, she's, she's walking over a crash site and other stuff. She's just literally just walking around. Every scene, she changes jackets, though. It's kind of strange. Just like randomly, it changes jackets. She's not physically changing the jacket. Right. It's just cut to her having a different jacket on. Um, it's a jacket of a different color. It's exactly <laughs> what's going on. Uh, and there's actually at one point in the song where she has a like a cream pie fight with some other people <laughs> the very first person who pelts her with a pie is Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins oh wow because at this point he was actually the touring drummer that she used on tour wow oh fair enough so it's very cool uh and the uh, director of this music video was uh Liz Freelander she also directed uh some other music videos uh Harvey Danger's Flagpole Sitta Nice. Uh, Celine Dion, that's the way it is. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, Miss Independent, and then went on to TV directing as well, directed episodes of The Boys, Jessica Jones, Amer- American Horror Story, and a lot of other shows. Wow. Nice. Good stuff. So very cool. Uh, all right. Well, I think we've learned enough about this song. Uh, let's move on <laughs> to the next one, which is called Head Over Feet. That was a good song. Yeah, for me, I think when I was younger, it was kind of a more middle of the road or even lower middle of the road song for me. I've definitely come to enjoy it a lot more, especially because of how, when she gets to the point where she's like, it's all your fault, she kind of lets you know it's all your fault. (laughs) I don't know know if you guys know this little uh, fact about the song, but it is actually the first uh, pop culture use of the word friends with benefits and its meaning so well that's a 
I'm going to use that for slang then for, yeah, for uh, some one trivia. of our throwback trivia episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. I mean, I did I did recognize the the saying, and I actually was thinking about that today when I heard that. I was like, I wonder if that's the first time we've heard that, or if it was a uh, a saying before. It might have been a saying, but it might have been the first, as you said, pop culture reference. Yeah, which to then took it took it where it's now, right? Mm. So this song actually was one of her highest charting songs, period, out of including on this album. Like, okay, um, so it hit number one on the top forty, as well as uh, number one on the mainstream top forty charts for Billboard, which are different than the Hot One Hundred, um, and also number three on the Billboard Radio Play chart, which is different than the Hot One Hundred chart. I had to mm-hmm. look that up because I thought it was weird. <laughs> because um, so the Hot 100 includes uh, sales of the singles as well as streaming activity, which is current, obviously not right. streaming at that time, um, but sales. But because she released this album as a radio play only hit, she didn't actually sell this single separately mm. as separate CDs. Um, and so it wasn't eligible for the Hot 100, but it reached really high on the radio play. So it got played very often. And if she would have sold it, it probably would have reached similar number yeah. onto the hot 100 yeah. um and in canada this song spent eight weeks at number one atop their charts Ooh. which was the most of any of the songs from this album so this was a really popular song well and that kind of makes sense because out of all the songs i mean you can make a case for other ones too but i think this might be her most poppiest song yeah. on this album yeah. with everything that else is going on is going on i i really could see why this one would get a lot of radio play yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I don't know if there's any other song that's popular than this one. Exactly. I mean, it, it's it's got happy feels. There's not the angry angst with any of it, really. Mm-hmm. Not all that much. Um, so yeah, I would say it kind of diverts from that. I and I could see why it can have a little bit more mass appeal. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really good song, but it's not my favorite on the album personally. But it's still. I mean, it's top top half for sure. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next one called Mary Jane. I'm going to start by saying this is definitely one that I skipped a lot as a kid because I was, you know, always into the bigger ones. But for me, this one had just the same impact for me as Perfect, but in the opposite way. I actually didn't listen so much to what the lyrics were so much as I was listening to her melodic treatment and her just vocalizing and her singing because she really goes for it in this song. And this is definitely one I could kind of see myself like zoning out to, not really like listening to it, but not listening to it, if that makes sense. One of those ones I would zone out and just kind of absorb as it was happening. Yeah. Like, damn, her vocals. Holy crap. Like this, like listening to it uh, again, kind of just gives me like a, uh, like a, like a pink kind of a vocal feel like where Mm. she can just, she can belt but it's not like she's pushing mm-hmm. it. Like it's, yeah. it just flows from her, from her voice. And to know that this is like her third album, I was, I'm just, this is definitely one of my, one of my top three favorite songs on this, on this album, but 
Oh wow! It's it's because I just love that she's not a diva, but it just mm-hmm. showcases how powerful her voice can be when she wants it to be. Just to kind of give you like an idea, so I was watching, you know, I'm, I'm watching her as she's singing in the concert, and you know, they had her vocals up enough, but anytime she had to really belt, she knew to pull the mic away from her mouth. And it was still the clearest thing you could hear out of the entire mix. Like she was that powerful that she could pull the mic away and it was still big and loud and clear. Man. I don't have much to add other than I wholeheartedly agree. This is probably her best vocal performance Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, on on this album. So dumb question. I didn't really listen. Are we talking about Mary Jane as a marijuana or is Mary Jane just a name that she used? Uh, from what I saw and what I looked up, I and, and even just looking at the lyrics, I don't think this really has any um, drug reference to okay. it. I'm I'm fairly certain it's just about a girl and a, and a girl who is um, making who's so worried and, and doing dedicating herself to making other people's happy and not herself happy. And that's about it. Yeah, from from what I got, it's it's simply about someone trying a woman in this case trying to just overcome any kind of fear that she has or emotional problems to become who she, who she wants to be. It's definitely not, not, not about uh, drugs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now that we know that she did spend a lot of time um, in Catholic Church and Catholic school, maybe Mary Jane was a real person, yeah. or maybe that's just a name she heard, or maybe she just felt like the rhyming scheme or the rhythm of Mary Jane fit the best. I mean, any of that could be true, I think. Yeah. I'll have to ask her the next time I, you know, I see her. Please. I do. mean, you're on a first name basis with her, right? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Everyone's on a first name. When you say Alanis, <laughs> nobody assumes anybody else. No. Other than Alanis Morissette, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever even heard of another Alanis. No. And let's go to the next one, which is honestly was the only one that I could I could actually remember what the uh, music video looked like. Yes. Because I spent more, I think I spent more time listening to her on the radio than I did actually watching the videos. But this was definitely a video I remembered, and that is ironic. It's like I, I don't know what all, what all you can say about ironic. This song was a monster. It was everywhere. It was it was like one of those songs that everyone knew what it was, and you either loved it or you hated it, based on whether or not you actually thought the stuff in the song was ironic. Yeah, actually, a lot of people made fun of this song because um, the things that she's talking about are coincidences uh, and not <laughs> not irony, not ironies. Um, yeah, a lot of people made fun of it, but it is good. Actually, in the uh, 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 Weird Al song, uh, Word Crimes, he makes a jab at this song a little bit where he says uh, the lyrics are, irony is not coincidence. And then in the music video, there's a picture of a fire truck being like burning like you know, on fire, and mm-hmm. it has under it irony. And then it has a man and a woman in their wedding attire, and it's <laughs> raining, and it just says, weather <laughs> it's just one is irony one is weather <laughs> so it's just i mean but the song itself is 
fucking great. I would probably say my favorite on the album. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was everywhere. Probably oversaturated. Um, Hit number four on the Hot 100, number one on the modern rock charts and the mainstream top 40. Uh, the song won the Juno Award for the single that year mm. and received two Grammy nominations um, for Record of the Year and and Best Short Form Music Video. So you mentioned the music video was everywhere, and, and I'll go ahead and just talk a little bit about that, which obviously Alanis Morissette's playing multiple different parts, <laughs> kind of in the car, yes. kind of singing to herself back and forth, which is super cute, and I love that. I mm. think it's it's awesome. She's got, She actually shows that she's kind of acts pretty damn well you know i think she totally is a decent actress because she's like you know they all have their own different personalities and whatnot and i think the music video is great um it was directed by stefan sednawi uh he also directed a couple red hot chili peppers music videos give it away around the world in scar tissue uh directed the smashing pumpkins music video for today fiona apple's music video for sleep to dream um another alanis morissette music video which is the the thank you which is a good song it's the one where she like is around naked in new york yeah. if you remember that yep that one uh and then like a u2 song called mysterious ways yeah we are in mysterious ways by the way uh when she sang that at the concert she did not uh strip down to her hair oh damn that is a shame because yeah. she is a beautiful woman she is yeah i mean and the funny part is that she really thought these were ironic. Like these, these little things were all what irony is when she was making this album. And it wasn't until 2008 when they asked her about it, she confessed that she's like, I thought this was ironic. And that she even said that uh, people uh, always tell her that she is the smartest, stupid person you'll ever meet. (laughs) Like, Oh man. Uh, All right, well, let's uh, head on down to the next one, which is called Not the Doctor. I don't want to be adored for what I merely represent to you. I don't want to be a babysitter. You're a very big boy now. I don't want to be a mother. I didn't carry you in my womb for nine months. Show me the back door. Visiting out. Show up at ten past six Well, I already know That you find some way to sneak me in that door Find the empty bottle With the holes along the bottom You say it's too much to ask for And I am not the doctor I like that I get kind of a uh, Almost a Tracy Chapman vibe out of the beginning of this and then the drums kick in and then it's pure Alanis after that but it's a different it's a different guitar riff uh to me like it was very much that sort of a 90s acoustic singer as soon as I listened as soon as I heard it I actually looked at my thing I'm like is this did I skip to a Tracy Chapman song not knowing it and then you know after the drums and everything else came in then you you kind of hear this one this is another one that I think initially I probably didn't think too much of but I really I really like the power when she kicks into the uh um, into the chorus, not actually one I really paid attention to the lyrics for, just sort of like sonically took in as it was going. Yeah, I mean, this song, I definitely uh, relate to it in an odd way because I have in the past been a clingy person. So mm-hmm. I can honestly relate that. I mean, that's exactly what the song is. It's everything that any kind of needy, clingy person does in any kind mm-hmm. of relationship. 
So it's good. It's good. I, I kind of feel like she kind of tailed off a little bit on the end of the album. Um, but I feel like it's really good. I also noticed, too, that the she kind of laid off the harmonica through like it got it. It was in it was in almost all the songs at the beginning, and then like three quarters went through. She started kind of like trailing off a little bit, not using it. Always need more harmonica. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. This song, yeah, the song was was decent, and I agree. Like even just re-listening to it just now, um, I like it. I just maybe I'm a bit underwhelmed because I just mm-hmm. came off of the high of ironic. Yes. Um, and some other really good ones, and that the powerhouse of um, Mary Jane before that. Uh, this one was fine. I, you know what? I don't need to skip it at all, mm-hmm. but it's not one I'm going to seek out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm content. I agree. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to what we are going to kind of consider as the last song on the album per se, and then it's called "Wake Up." Honestly, for me, it's an okay song. It really doesn't. This one really does nothing for me. Same. Yes, the way Stephen kind of said things are kind of trailing a little bit, <laughs> and I, this one is very much like it's slightly even a tiny bit drop from "Not the Doctor." Um, it's fine. It's it's a not it's not a top half song. It's not a bad song, but it's not a top half song. For and me. I think that's simply because of what Adam said. I'm not the Doctor. You come off of uh, mm-hmm. you, you learn head over feet, Mary Jane, and ironic i mean four of probably the best songs on this album and you then you drop down to not the doctor and wake up and it's like they're good but i don't know (laughs) if i really need to listen to them but i mean i'll still play the album out so the question is is when they're when they're creating the the list of you know the track list for this album granted in some ways they do have to take certain things into consideration like if um if it's on something is on cassette, sometimes they'll have to take into account like how long each one takes, um, because you actually want you don't want a lot of dead air at the end. It's like if it's on an if it's on an LP or on a vinyl, it actually doesn't really matter if there's dead air after the last song on the vinyl before you flip it over, because you have to physically flip the whole thing over, um, and you're really not usually going to wait. But on a cassette, usually you you let it play out and then it flips itself over to the next side mm-hmm. without actually having to turn the tape over, and so they would actually usually try to put as much as they could on the first half with as little dead air as possible before it flipped to the next one. The end of the second half doesn't really matter. They can have as much dead air really as they need. So with this one, did they feel like it had peaked already or did they have these songs that you really didn't know where to put it? So they just thought, you know what, at the end was going to be best because they figured after maybe after ironic, Dude, it's hard to tell because you don't know what's really going to be a single and what's not. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe they didn't think that Ironic was going to be the big hit that it was. Oh, so it's hard to tell. I'm kind of curious because there was they. I read that they recorded 20 songs for this album. I'm curious what the um, what the other 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 eight are that that these two songs beat out those other eight songs. Mm-hmm. It's possible that it was for time. Yeah. 
Uh, maybe they needed songs that would fill the time and those those fit the bill. Um, maybe they were song, you know, maybe she really liked these songs at the time, or maybe they meant something to mm-hmm. her that we don't really know. Um, she has been fairly private about what her lyrics mean in some cases. So, I mean, the only real, the only person we can really ask about this is probably Alanis. And of course her answer might be that was the record company's decision to, as to what went on the album and what didn't. Yeah. Cause sometimes that is also the case. So, uh, it's hard to know. Uh, all right. Well, let's. Uh, should we talk about the hidden track? Yeah, yeah. I think so. All right. So we we kind of mentioned at the top that uh, if you have the CD, probably the cassette too. Actually, I didn't. I didn't say on the cassette, but definitely not on the vinyl. This track didn't appear on the vinyl. It's basically just a remix of "You Want to Know." But then at the very end, because it's track listed as eight minutes, there is a little uh, acapella song called "Your House." Into your house. Walked up the stairs, I opened your door without ringing the bell. I walked down the hall into your room where I could smell you and I shouldn't be here without permission. I shouldn't be I mean, it, it's kind of like the um, the one track at the end of the Hootie and the Blowfish album. It's a nice little acapella song, and it's fine, but definitely not like a you know, like a funny hidden track that I would seek out or something like that. Yeah, uh, hidden track wise, like I think they're I think they're fine. Um, there's I think uh, a Corn had that um, where they had like 15 blank tracks before the end of their song on mm-hmm. Fall of the Leader, um, but the one hidden track that I I know the best is on the tape version of Michael Jackson's bad album. Smooth criminal was actually a hidden track on it. Whoa. Yeah. That's very- um, it, uh, that was my first cassette. So that's, and also my love from yeah. MJ, but it was really weird <laughs> that it was, it wasn't like considered part of the album as track wise, but it was hidden. And then on the CD, it was, it was put on the CD as I think it was track number 13. On the CD version, yeah, but it was like it was kind of hidden after because they did the "You Ought to Know" as track the uh, the second version, and then they had this one like uh, a you know a little bit after that. Uh, the this this acapella song though is like a full length song, um, and, you know it's like it's about like a three and a half minute thing of her doing acapella, and it's not like I don't know it's not like classic acapella. It's literally just her singing lyrics to what I believe is actually probably like an unfinished song mm-hmm. where she wrote these lyrics and then they just never added. Um, you know, any kind of beats or anything behind it or any kind of yeah instruments behind it. Because right. I think it, it honestly could and probably was originally meant to be um, a song. And they just like, oh, man, I just lo- I think it's so pretty on its own. They just put it on here um, and it's fine. I actually, you know, looking at the lyrics, it's about either a girlfriend or maybe a stalker who goes into <laughs> this guy's place, not with, without his permission. And then she's like you know, using his shower and smelling his cologne and all this kind of stuff. And then finds a letter that some other girl wrote him. Uh, that's not her in her handwriting. And she's like, Oh fuck. Now she's sad. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, which I'm really, I don't know. It could have been, is this guy cheating on this person or is this a stalker? And his actual <laughs> girlfriend wrote him a letter. And then this, you know, this person's sad because of that. I, I couldn't tell which, um, but it was interesting. I actually think I would have liked this better if they fleshed it out as a song. Yes, flesh out the whole song and like let me let me hear it as 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 what I think is meant to be. Probably would have made a good thirteenth track or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
So. Maybe she'll make another album with some of the other on the tracks that haven't that never made it. Yeah, that'd yeah, be nice. Cool. Well, it's also it's also uh, also fairly common for songs that didn't get finished on one album to get rolled over into another one. So it's possible that mm-hmm. those songs went on to the next one, or maybe by the time she got to the next one, she didn't like them anymore. Like I said, we'll have to ask Alanis at the next meeting. <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> so, uh, all right, gentlemen, let's go into our final thoughts. Steve, you are a guest, so I'm going to let you have the last word on this one. Adam, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, for the non-Canadian crowd, this was all of our introduction to her. And I think it was everyone's introduction to this style that has kind of become her style, mm-hmm. where ultimately, you know, she she kind of came out of nowhere and became the figurehead for feminist angst in the 90s, you know, especially for like that, you know, teen to 20s girls. Um, and she wasn't going to take any, any crap from any man. And you got to respect <laughs> it. Um, so you love that vibe that she had through this entire album. But on top of that, the songs are fantastic. The hits are huge and great hits. And the non-hits, even though we got a little bit tired of some stuff, they're still solid. They're still solid songs. This is incredibly listenable all the way through. This is a fantastic album. Um, and particularly, I want to say Alanis and her her lyrics are top tier. I'm going to agree with everything there. Um, this was definitely an album I ran through uh, as a kid, probably skipping the slower songs then, but I appreciate them no- more now as an adult, as a more mature musician. And it might have been one of those things where it was like kind of cool to make fun of Alanis later a little bit after she got popular, but I never lost my love of her voice. And um, I think one of the first kind of like women that, showed me that it was okay to be you know angry um and sing about it and i i'm just gonna i don't have too much to kind of follow this up with and i'll just say this if you get the chance to see her live absolutely take it you will not be disappointed uh not much else to say besides from what you guys said i mean this was top notch top to bottom uh, despite what our feelings are, the last two songs, they were still decent songs for the album. Smash it after smash it on this on this record. Uh, deserved every award it got. Deserved every bit of acclamation. Um, it really introduced us to, like, as a, she was kind of the uh, the model for the for women's uh, movement and like just. It's so hard to get worked up because it's this is such a phenomenal album. Um, it's for us, it's very nostalgic of the time of what what we were doing back then, and I just love it. I love every part of it, every song. Not much else besides that to say. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us, and more importantly, thank you so much for picking this album. Um, I think this was a, a great one to do. Um, do you have anything you want to add before we kind of close it out? I don't feel like that. No, there's not much else I need to add. All right, awesome. Well, that was our review of the album Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Please join us next time for a robotic-inspired episode as we break down the 1987 film Batteries Not Included, discuss the 90s TV show Beast Wars, and recast Batteries Not Included using actors of today. 
If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Mm-hmm.